Hey, this is Web3 Talks. The rule of this podcast is simple. We only talk with people who have hands-on Web3 building experience. So if you are a hacker, entrepreneur, or investor, you can get inspired by your stories, lessons, and fuck-ups. My name is Mac, and I'm hosting this pod. If you want to stay in touch, go to twitter.com slash webfreetalks, click the link in the pinned tweet, and join our Discord community. Let's go. Before we start, I got a special announcement. After 38 episodes and 14 months of running our show, Web3 Talks has a partner. From today on, we are partnering with Epic Web3, which organizes a conference on how to build and grow Web3 products. And their lineup is really strong. Among conference speakers are people responsible for product and growth in PoApp, MakerDAO, Polygon, Uniswap, Gnosis, Ledger, MetaMask, Decentraland, and many, many more. During the event, there will also be a startup pitch competition, speed consultations with Web3 experts, and something very useful during the bear market, one-on-one networking sessions with investors. The whole conference will take place on the 9th of June in the sunny city of Lisbon in Portugal. I will be at the event moderating some panels. So if you want to grab a coffee or beer, there will be a good opportunity to meet up. This partnership wouldn't be possible without you. So to thank you, I organize a discount. Just type in Web3 Talks code at the checkout and you will get 15% off your tickets. Go to epicweb3.com to learn more about the event. Thank you. Today's guest is Ayush Ranjan, CEO and co-founder of Huddle01. And Huddle has been dubbed as Web3 Zoom because you can jump to audio and video calls using your avatars and wallets. And thanks to that design, you can not only maintain your pseudonymous identity, but you can also token gate or NFT gate or POAP gate your events, which creates many, many interesting options that we will explore today. And Huddle has been growing fast. It already had 16,000 users in 2022. So Ayush, like before we start, let's start with the prologue. Like what chain of events led you to building Huddle? Thanks, Mark, for having me here, first of all. And just a quick background of myself. I am an electrical engineer by my education. So I graduated back in 2016. Post that worked in product and growth-based companies, startups basically in B2C space in the Web2 world. So high-velocity startups, did a lot of product and growth work there, did that for five, uh, four years. And then at the end of fourth year, I realized that I was reading a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. It's a pretty good book. And that's where I realized that hey, it's a more uh, combination of economics as well as psychology. And I really liked that concept. So I left my job and started basically dabbling into the concept of behavior economics in general. From there, I stumbled upon the concepts of mechanism design, something about game theory. And I realized that all these three things basically culminate together in a productized form in a concept called blockchain. So blockchain doesn't include just cryptography or mathematics. It also includes psychology, it also includes economics, and also includes mechanism design and game theory in general itself. So then I started dabbling into hackathons because ETH Global was something Karthik and the team, kudos to them, they have been doing hackathons left and right and center every month. So I dabbled into that. I participated in the hackathon from June itself. That was Hack Money in 2020 June. And then in Hack FS 2020 July, I actually came together with my now co-founder Sushmit, co-founder and CTO Sushmit, who is also my batch. He's from the same university. So we came together with a very simple idea that it was a 30-day hackathon. And that's something which I really like about these 30-day hackathons is that you get time to think about things which are which could be actual problems in general itself. So in the First 10 days, we just thought about ideas. And that's where we were just thinking about ideas. That time, Web3, the world wasn't trending on Twitter. It was just something like some people were writing about. Chris Dixon actually had been talking about Web3, but the word was didn't permeate into that crypto Twitter at that time. 
And that's where I and Sushmit saw that everybody is talking about decentralization, Web 3.0, but all of your meetings are happening over Zoom, Google Meet, or Microsoft Teams. And at that time, a uh, lot of these platforms were also, some of them were also facing a, a lawsuit for the overall recordings aspect, the privacy aspect of things, the bombings of your rooms. That means people can enter your rooms without the authentication and stuff. So we realized that there are two fundamental problems here. Number one, it doesn't go against the, it doesn't go with the philosophy of Web3, which is uh, complete ownership of things uh, or privacy in itself. That means self-sovereign itself. And second, you are, uh, the experience was also not good in terms of the quality of calls which were happening, especially if you are living in a country where the internet connection is not great. And one of my nephews lives in a part of India where the internet connection is not that good. So, and since the COVID is happening in 2020, he had to move away from his schooling to actually home. And he used to use one of these platforms in tandem with WhatsApp because the latency or the quality was so bad that he was not able to do the calls. And he used to ask his friend that, hey, what did the teacher say exactly? Can you repeat that? So you can understand the kind of rote learning environment which was getting created in the for a seven-year-old person for two years. So I think the, the level of real-time communication advancement and infrastructure was needed for a long time now. And that's where we came together and thought, let's build a, a communication infrastructure by building an app first which essentially can solve the problem of privacy performance as well as making it a bottom-up economy. That means instead of using servers, let's use the compute and the bandwidth of our laptops together. So that's how the chain of events happen. And then we actually went to the hackathon, built a product, won the hackathon, a lot of prizes there. And that's from, from there, we went to an accelerator called Techion by Consensus. And from there, we raised the first round. And here we are two and a half years later, a 22-people 20, team building strong. Yeah, gr- great stories. And and like, how, how have you came up with the name? Why Huddle 01? So Huddle 01 also came with a very simple philosophy that we, when we are actually meeting, let's suppose in a park, if you and me and, and Sean meets in Denver in a, in a normal environment, we are actually huddling together, right? It's in an offline world. But how do you huddle in an online world? Online and mates of bits and pieces, bits and bytes, and yet zeros and ones are the binaries which we use for everything. So zero and one means like an online, it's to, it's to portray the online world and how you can have an proper huddle of an offline world into an online world with much more security and stuff. So that's why Harden Zero One. Okay. And what were the early days of the app? Like, you know, how it looked like? Because now now it's basically like it works just like Zoom or Google Meets. Like it's very efficient. But wondering, you know, how were your first prototypes and, you know, what changed since then? Yeah, it's a great question. And it brings me back to the nostalgia, which uh, so Huddle01 started off, though we had a lot of Web3 based technologies and infrastructure involved into it. But for us, the idea was very simple at that time. We were targeting a different kind of industry because I just mentioned to you about my nephew. So we wanted to use the infrastructure of the Web3 powered infrastructures, which we build, or with, with something like Filecoin or LivePeer for recording and for live streaming, which can have a better quality. It's also cheaper and it's also much more safer. So that we wanted to build it for a education market. So for us, it was focusing more towards targeting towards education market, making the overall front end in such a manner that it's very easy for a teacher to essentially use that platform, a better way of doing whiteboarding, where you can just do all these things. And you don't even know in the back end it's a Web3 based technology. So the idea is very simple to do that. But we over time realized that in order to do this, Education, though it needs it the most, it's also one of the slower moving industries who can, for them to adopt a web 3 based technology. Because, for example, storing things over Filecoin is something where you need to teach them in an educational trip campaign that, hey, this is what Filecoin is. And that's where we realized that the better cohort to go after would be something like a crypto native audiences, people who prefer privacy in itself. And because there you will get that net- network effects. And then you essentially you can go towards these bigger problems like education sector or healthcare sector, because that's that's the kind of sector who actually will benefit a lot, but over time. Mm-hmm. And how you got your first users? Because you, you you say that you targeted these crypto native communities. You are also, you know, very involved in crypto, of course. So how did it work? Yeah, so the first users, it's a very interesting story. So it was in the month of August of 2021. That's where... The platform was completely live. It was working very well, but it didn't have any kind of 
The authentication mechanism was also very simple. So we had a very simple idea that we won't keep a Google-based authentication because we don't want an authentication where the servers store your email ID, your phone number, your IP, and all those things. So that's why we had a guest login, but didn't have a login via something called as wallet, right? Which we use MetaMask or Coinbase wallet or any kind of wallet which you are interested about. In August 2021, so we always had a philosophy at Huddle01 that we will do hackathons. And instead of just sponsoring the hackathons, we'll also participate in the hackathons again and again and again. What we do, because it's a time-bound competition, if you just talk talk about it, and you have to be very creative and that too in a fast pace to build something out there. And that's where in August, we, we essentially added our first authentication of login via MetaMask. And then we added an OpenSea API where you can now fetch all your NFTs and you can use that as a profile picture. Very simple. It didn't took us a lot of time to build this. It took us a, a day to essentially use OpenSea's API and just add that as a filter. So, But this as I had a fundamental thing where we started seeing was that people generally don't prefer to switch on their videos and they want to switch off their videos, but you don't know if they're switching off their video that are they engaging with your content? Are they talking to you or not and stuff? But what we started seeing was that as soon as we had these NFT-based profile pictures, people or these crypto, like crypto-native audiences, we saw that the overall engagement became really good, really better. And people loved using it. People loved showing it. People loved authenticating themselves via this particular thing. And they loved even recording all these sessions because they now knew that all these recordings which are getting stored over IPFS or Filecoin are cryptographically encrypted. So that's how we got our first users from these crypto-native proper B2C-based users where people who prefer DuckDuckGo over Google, people who prefer Brave over Chrome, or people who prefer in general were crypto-native audiences. That's where we started getting these powerful audiences. And I myself, I'm a very power user of Twitter. That's how we started seeing that people were tapping around. It's a network product. So nobody goes on hurdle as one person because how will you do a meeting as a single person so the person used to call the other person and then they used to have a call and they're like hey this is really cool and then we added a kind of a referral based mechanism that hey if you get uh, 100 more people you get 50 gb of uh, recordings on filecoin for free and that's how we started getting these uh, torpedo of users onto the platform yeah nice so, so so this is a great example of how being very focused on one particular you know group helps you to grow the product because sometimes, you know, it's like, oh yeah, let's test this, let's test that, let's, you know, there are many ideas and people, I don't know, do one sprint maybe to just test one group. But in your case, like you really invested heavily in this crypto, adding this login with MetaMask, OpenCPN and promoting it. Yeah, I think adding on to that as well, Mark, what, what actually worked as well after that is that login via MetaMask had a and then we accelerated that, ignited that with token-gated meetings. That means now you could, if you are, let's suppose, a power user of, if you want to token-gate the calls, you don't need, you can token-gate your calls either via your own uh, token or via your own NFT or via your own POP or even via your own Lens profile. So for example, let's suppose if you collect uh, the post of Stani, let's suppose you are, and Stani now knows that, hey, these are the guys who collect all my posts on Lenster or lens in general. Now you can even filter that out in token gated meetings. So Stani can just go onto the dashboard of Huddle01, just click on that, hey, who all have collected my post? And only those people can essentially enter those meetings uh, of Stani. So like a proper token gated experience, which couldn't be possible with the Web2 based authentication mechanisms because it's not open in nature. Now we can see actually and just make that. And it's very easy for any users to dabble around that who are my power users and then meeting for them and then in future adding streaming money and kind of things to that so that it becomes like a micro transaction based economy itself mm -hmm. yes it's very interesting for these utility nfts and like music nfts for example you know if i'm like i don't know 50 cent and people who got my nfts i could make a special nft gated call for them and just tell them about my new recording so this is really cool Exactly. Yes, that, that's the game. The Pudgy Penguins were one of the first ones who actually used Huddle Zero One. They loved it. We have they, they were using the platform. That was early days of 2021 end where we just, we also got a 
proper Discord-based community where we actually had a channel completely that huddle, huddle Pudgy and stuff like that, where Pudgies can go together. It's still live actually, Pudgy.huddle01.com, where any of the Pudgy penguins can go, little Pudgies can go, can have a good experience. Even your background will change based on what kind of, if you want ice, you can get the ice and stuff like that. And also you in future, you'll be having an AR filter. That means instead of just being a face, your face will get swapped by your NFT. The way you move will move that same direction and stuff like that. So making it much more engaging in nature. Yeah, yeah. I've seen these kind of filters, I think, on Snapchat. I interviewed Bort Elon Musk some time ago, and he obviously like keeps his profile picture, but somehow he made it very natural. So it looked as if it was his face, but obviously it, it was his avatar. So it, it was really cool because it was as engaging as talking with a person, even though it, it was just avatar. Super cool. And you know, you have Android and IO and iOS apps. Could you tell a little bit about it, like how this development looked like and if it was anyhow different because you use, you know, NFTs, crypto and so on? Has these features somehow impacted, you know, the development and, and the things that you had to take into account when building the app? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we used lot of things. So the work, a lot of front, like heavy lifting work was done by the backend. For us, backend becomes a very crucial role because we are handling audio video and the packets are, the packets of audio video means that you need to have a latency of less than 100 milliseconds. That means if Ayush and Mac are chatting, the latency of Ayush's voice and video reaching to Mac should be less than 100 milliseconds because that's the time your neuron flows from your brain to your eyes. And that's how you're able to see me. And it looks like it's a real time experience. So for us, that was the most important part in terms of, and that's something which trickled down into the iOS and the Android app as well. So we use React Native for it. The app has been live for a while now. Now here, the authentication mechanism was the part where we had to basically be a bit more creative because now our authentication wasn't a Google-based OAuth, but something like a MetaMask and or something like using a Rainbow, Coinbase and others. And for that, you need to be very, make sure that how MetaMask, how are they, working in mobile devices because that's something where people have some problems of using MetaMask on mobile. So they they use something like a like other wallet mechanisms like Wallet Connect and then they connect via that. So that's something which we figured out based on the iterations of how users are using it. So we saw that people love using something like coming up via either a Wallet Connect or sometimes via MetaMask and then login into the device. So this is how the overall process looked like. Apart from that, live streaming is something where doing these things over mobile creates a bit more challenge because the second problem happens is that mobile's video, like the screen size is smaller in nature. So when the screen size is smaller in nature, how many people, that's the rendering issues. That means how many screens can you have at once in one basically frame? And will that make your lap, the overall phone heat up or not? So you need to see these things. You need to manage like the overall uh, device shouldn't, when it's installed in the phone, it shouldn't be a 50 MB based mobile, like an app, people won't download it. So these things were a couple of metrics and then adding a recording over Filecoin, doing these live streaming via live peers. Now those are things where we innovated on the backend level, then we uh, trickled down and used that playbook also on the mobile level. But yeah, it's working well. Mobile is live on both Android and iOS. You can just try button zero one there on both the places, then you can use it as your own. Yeah, and then how long have it taken to develop these apps? Yeah, so in terms of our web app, that's how we started off with first. So web app took us multiple iterations. Iterations by iterations, I mean, the cycle is that for any iteration, we first do a low fidelity experiment. That means we design a low fidelity Figma files. We send those Figma files to crypto native audiences who are actually using us already. Something like a big B2B based client where who could use us, something like maybe Pudgy Penguins or something like Masari and others. And just showing them that, hey, this is how the platform will look like. And then we see that what kind of suggestions they have on that. And then we create a Venn diagram of what all four or five points everyone is mentioning. And then we do a high fidelity experiment, which is on the Figma itself, which is more playable in nature. That means you cannot play in that part. And then we send it again. And then we send that Figma file high fidelity to the front end team. And that's how they start building the overall process. So it's very sequential process here, very thought of process here. And that's how the process looks like. So it took us around three iterations to get to a mobile a web app where we are right now, where it's very seamless in nature. It took us around six months to completely on the from the front end to the back end to the scalability level. And then again, I think a couple of four months to build the mobile app as well. 
completely on the Android and the iOS part. So I think, yeah, that's the overall time duration, I will say, in totality of around 10 months to basically completely build these apps and then also look after stability, security, and all these other aspects. Yeah, it's nice. So you got to have close relationship with your customers, you know, so so they can really find time to to give feedback. But if they are actually using it, I guess it, it's not such a big problem because it's in their best interest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what I really like about Huddle is that you are in line with web free openness. Like you don't only build an app, but just like you said, you build the whole protocol and protocol is under construction as far as I know, but SDK is already out there and you can build your app on top of Huddle. So could you tell a little bit more how it works and maybe mention some interesting apps that have been already built? Absolutely. Huddle 01 actually is a communication toolkit for Web3, where it has a three-pronged approach. First is the app the DAP which you're talking about, which is also going to be called a Zoom for Web3. That's first part of Huddle01. But it's an app which can do exactly what you go to Google Meet, you can do on Zoom. But with new crypto native features, you can use NFT as an avatar, token gating. The one good thing which I wanted to talk about was also that you can actually live stream your calls into three places in one click at Huddle01. So you can do it on YouTube, you can do it on Twitch, and you can do it onto any of your own players as well. So in Zoom or other players, you can just do on one platform. That means only onto YouTube. But in Huddle, you can do it three places. So it's not Web2 or Web3, but it's more distribution for a content creator. So a podcaster would prefer, or a gamer would prefer to use Huddle01 while they're streaming versus something like Zoom, because now the distribution channels has increased to get more views in itself. That's the first layer. The second layer is the SDKs where now it's a plug-and-play SDK, where anyone can use our SDKs and build anything on top of it. So either, let's suppose somebody's building any social app and they want to add an audio and video into it, they can use Huddle01 SDK or an iframe. Or somebody is building a metaverse where they are basically something like gather.town where they want to roam around and they, the players interact and the, the screen opens up. Now that screen opens up, we basically have built a plug-and-play SDK which takes 10 minutes to integrate and then bam, you're in. You can have a video and we abstract away all the technicalities for any kind of users. That's the SDK level where we have opened the SDKs for people to use for the last three months, have got around 125 projects already built on top of it. Latest was in the Filecoin FVM, Filecoin Virtual Machine, where people used Huddle01 along with Filecoin Virtual Machine's economy to build something really cool. That's the second layer. And the third is the protocol, which is the end game of Huddle01. That means if Ayush, Mac, and let's say Sean are having a call, if Mac has a good internet connection, Mac can become a node and he powers the call of all three of us so we don't depend on any central servers at all for all the calls. So that's the kind of approach. So you can say that why we didn't took an approach of first building the protocol and building the app first for a very simple reason. Over the years, what we have seen is that once you build protocol first, it's more research-based assumption. That means you build a protocol with a research which is in your mind and it's not talking to customers. But if you take a reverse approach and if you know that what protocol you want to build, but you first build the infrastructure and the app by yourself, then basically you get an idea about what kind of developers things they will be needing. So because you have built your own app on top of it first. So I think that's the approach which we took. We took an approach of demand first, supply second. The infrastructure take an approach of supply first in general and demand second. That means you build an infrastructure, there are hundreds of nodes all across the earth, and then you hope for developers to build on top of your infrastructure. But you can solve this in a different way as well. It's a chicken and egg problem. You can build an infrastructure and build your first app yourself and get uh, reach PMF with your own apps on top of it. It's more work, obviously. You need to have much more product-based thinking in that direction. But you will get PMF by your own team because your team has built infra. They can build product themselves on top of it. You get PMF on that. And then you open the infra for other people to build because now they can envision that, hey, you know what? I can build something like Huddle01 DAP. Or hey, I can build like a gather a ton kind of an experience on top of their infrastructure. Just talking about that, the experience is that there have been a couple of players who have been building these gather.town kind of an experience using Huddle01 where they use us for audio and video. That's one of the projects which I really like. Second is something like a, a doctor-patient-based teleconsultation, which I really like where what can happen is that a doctor and patient are chatting. And since our calls are encrypted in nature, and even the recordings are encrypted, it's much more safer. So now doctors and patients can have a better conversation, which doesn't get recorded, doesn't get stored. You comply with US-based HIPAA-compliant laws. So you are actually having a much more production-ready things where your data is not recorded on someone else's computer, but belongs to you, cryptographically encrypted. 
And the third is something like a peer code where there is a designer or a coder who are doing basically parallel-based programming. And then they want to have a compiler open on in the background and they want to do coding together. And that's where you can use Huddle one SDK to build on top of. So these are a couple of projects I really like uh, who have been building some fantastic stuff. Just a short break to remind you that if you like this podcast, please don't hesitate to subscribe and give it a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks a lot. Could you like expand on like how do you grow the ecosystem right now? Because you know, you now went to the part where you not only need to care about your end users, but you also need to care about developers building on top of Huddle. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you do it? Yeah, I think it's 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 more challenging. Mac, as you just mentioned that, because now you're doing double the work. Because as I think I was also chatting with Dan, it's been six months since I chatted with him. Again, on the similar points that protocols are a set of rules. And you cannot just uh, shove rules to people without actually walking the talk. And that's the problem which has been in the industry. So the way to solve that is again product first approach, but then you also need to think about developers in general. So the good way to do that is is to have a very, very, very solid documentation is what I believe. Your documentation should be really rock solid so that people love to see that because in general, developers really like have a knack of reading documentation in a manner which helps them not think much in terms of integrating you in general. That's the first approach. The second is that you need to be much more recurrent, much more, I'll say, consistent with any kind of hackathons which you do. And then you also need to have some kind of something which I was also discussing with even Dan, uh, uh, like six months back, was a kind of staggered based reward function where what, what I mean by that is that instead of just giving grants in one go to developers, you need to have, make it staggered in nature. By staggered, what I mean is that if you keep on updating your PR reviews every week, every month, you basically unlock more of the grant money uh, rather than just get all go because that also gives you a financial incentive at such a at a young age let's suppose if you're 18 and you get bombastic amount of money you actually are not able to think about the product because that overpowers the product thing so the way to do that is do it in a staggered format and then you can nurture the developer community really well apart from that i think a lot of these micro community based I say guild kind of environments where you can have these guilds in India, for example, we're focusing a lot on India, going to these smaller guilds, partnering with Filecoin. So we did a Filecoin Bangalore in 29th and 30th of November. It was a very, very big event. There were 1,400 developers who came, built amazing stuff. So it was a really, really good place, a conference and a hackathon kind of a merger. Yuan and all the teammates had come. So we plan to do a lot of these things where with other protocols, even with LifePeer, they're a very good friend of ours, do some really interesting stuff where people can build some really fantastic stuff. And then you can also do these educational trip campaigns in universities that, hey, how easy it is, it is to use a LifePeer or Huddle01 or Filecoin or all these other protocols which are out there. So yeah, that's the kind of approach which you've taken for the developers. Yeah, I've seen some pictures from this conference, this Filecon Bangalore, and those really, really big thing. So you said that you do a lot of uh, this education. So like, who is typically responsible for it? Is it like on a technical side, like CTO or more like on a marketing side? This is something which we experimented a lot, actually, Max. So we realized that to talk to a developer, you need a developer. You marketer, a developer can see right through any jargons which you throw to a developer. So you need to talk very hard to heart. A developer who actually has gone to... So in, in Huddle01, there are a couple of people who have exceedingly done well on the development point of view. But on, uh, over time, I've also started going to these Twitter spaces, Clubhouse in general, when the Clubhouse was actually there in a complete format. And they actually started having that knack of talking and expressing themselves in their own manner. And that's what we saw, that a lot of our developers, when they go and chat, people want to come and listen. If Sushmit, my CTO, goes to talk, they want to listen. So like the overall vision talks, which generally happens in the protocol layer, that's the talk taken by the protocol engineers and Sushmit and not me, because they listen to him, because these are the node providers or builders who are building on top of you, and they want to see a face who have actually built this, who have actually ideated that. And that's how the overall things trickles down and flows. And we, in general, my job job there is to make the operations very seamless 
for my developers. That means make sure that good people come, make, make sure that good speakers are coming in, make sure that the event is happening at a prime location. We have some enough good protocols who are also participating in this these events and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you run a business like that, I'm wondering what kind of metrics do you follow? Is it, you know, the number of video chats, number of users, I guess, of course, but like, do you have any specific metrics that you track? Yeah, one metric is the most important for us. That is number of minutes of meeting done on the platform. That's a a metric which is very, very important for us. That means how many minutes of meetings have been done so far on the platform. It's even more important for us than number of users who are coming in together because then you know that are they liking the platform or not. And that also gives you an understanding of retention. So once you solve retention, any platform like Huddle Zero One, you're able to solve LTV. That means lifetime value of the customer. And also at a level when your business model is live, your CAC as well. That means how much your cost of acquisition of the customer is. And then you can think about selling your namespaces with even something like maybe Farcaster will also have in future, Huddle Zero will also have in future. Lens has right now, for example, and then you can see that will these people buy these namespaces? Will the people buy these AR avatars or will people buy these other things or not? So I think these things are something which I, which we keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And at this point, is it like, do, do you have any average minutes per user that you, you know, hope to reach at this point? Because I, I have like no point of reference. Is it like, I don't know, five minutes per user? Is it like good result or, or bad? Or should it be, I don't know, like 10 minutes a month or one hour? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the great question. So in general, we had calculated during the COVID times, what was the, from the uh, Zoom had shared the data where minute consumption was 21 minutes on an average, which is considered good. That means we were doing some meetings, 21, 20, 20 minutes, 50 seconds, something like that. For us, our North Star goal is to reach something like a 22 minutes mark in general as an average meeting, which is considered really, really good. Right now, we are hoping around a range of 17 to 18 minutes. That means people doing meetings, they're loving the meetings in itself. And we have crossed around 750,000 minutes of meetings so far on the platform. The other metric is important is your number of users. And number of users, the third metric which comes down is the trickle down number of DID-based users, the people who have actually connected their wallets and come and have actually started using their DIDs. That means their unstoppable domains, their lens domains, or the domains of these other DIDs which are out there in nature. So that's the metric that you see to understand that what kind of top funnel, middle funnel, bottom funnel is coming in on the platform level. For the SDKs, our metrics are very simple. Number of people who have actually integrated our iframes. How much time, again, the main metric there also is number of minutes. That means in SDKs, because our our bread and butter, that means the major money which we'll be making would also come from SDKs because people will be using our SDKs and that's the charges where will be something between where if you want to use our SDKs, that means per thousand minutes, you can pay something like a dollar for an audio, for a video around four dollars for an SD or an HD quality. And that's how the pricing will look like. So number of minutes of meetings acts as a as a reference point for us in terms of LTV, CAC, and also in terms of calculating the the amount of revenue we'll make into future and something like return on invested capital and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you get into, I'm not sure you, if you're familiar with like Agora. There was this pretty famous like audio and video real-time communication platform. And that's how they make money basically through this selling connectivity be, be between people. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So now we can uh, actually, uh, just in terms of uh, even primitives, we have better primitives now with NFTs, DIDs, right, public credentials, and all these things. So you have a better experience. You have a new base of users, but the costing also has decreased to a maximum extent where our costings right now is will be almost half of Agora if you just compound all the costings because your recordings are way more cheaper, your uh, your live stream is way more cheaper, and your audio and video infrastructure is something which we control ourselves. But I think that's where we we come in and give a better incentive both economically and also in terms of expressions to people. Hmm. That's really interesting because many of like web free solutions are not less expensive, quite the contrary. <laughs> because, you know, just like sending things on chain can be sometimes very expensive and so on. But like, in your case, it, it can really be cheaper. So it's like very, very strong value proposition, even for like, more like crypto tourists, you know, people who are not here 
like for the long time, but but who just came in and like, oh, I can create an app and it's cheaper than Agora. So well, why shouldn't I use it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Spot on. Interesting. So could you tell more about this protocol, this three-time communications protocol? Because I know that this is the end game for you. And this is the, as far as I understand, the biggest project that you are building. So what's the vision behind it? Great question, Anson. The bottom line is very simple that instead of using a cloud for AWS or GCP or Azure for storing, uh, using EC2 instances there to basically uh, do all these cloud-based calls. So how the call works in general is that, let's suppose I and you, I and I just talked about Naman, right? All the servers of these centralized-based conferencing solutions, they are based in North Virginia in general because that's the cheapest where the servers are. So all your calls get routed through a central server in US and that comes back to you. Now, all these packets are UDP packets. That means the more distance it travels, the more via optic fiber cables, that means at a almost at a speed of light, the more distance it travels, the more it's susceptible to heat loss. That means the more heat loss happens via these optic fiber cables. The more heat loss happens, the more there is jitter, buffer, robotic voices, which you'll hear, like not a good video quality and stuff like that. You'll all get a 360p video quality and stuff, which leads to a bad experience. Here comes our protocol, which is, which say that, hey, hold on. If two people are doing a call in the same geographical location, instead of using, again, a North Virginia server, which is, again, someone else's computer, if you talk about it in a fundamental manner, we just need a small amount of bandwidth and a compute, which anyone else can provide, even that person himself can provide, to basically make that call happen. So instead of paying to that, so it solves a number of purposes. Number first, the privacy is secured because now we can actually encrypt those data and we can actually have that. That's first. The second is the performance is better because now geographically we're located at a in the Indian geography. And the third layer, which is the most important, is that instead of paying to AWS or GCP, we are now paying to the people itself. So it's like a new bottom-up economy which is coming up because of this purpose. So this is the end goal of Hardle Zero One on the protocol layer. And right now we are to call that DRTC. That means Decentralized Real-Time Communication Engine, which we are building. That engine has the capability to do right now from anything from audio and video to even messaging. So we can do everything with that because we play with packets. So we can do anything with those things. The scheduled launch of protocol is in by Q3 end of this year, that means in a proper level, we can, you can see the protocol being launched. Then the main net will happen after some time, but it also requires a lot of purposes. By that time, this is protocol being launched. Now, instead of launching that to the public, what we are doing is that we'll first see that how is the performance of our protocol versus something like AWS or GCP. This is something which we always kept in mind. Though we are complete uh, Web3 maxis, for us, what matters is, is the customer facing a latency of more than 100 milliseconds, I won't launch my protocol on that day. It won't be a switch. It will be a slider. Like it will take a slide to reach to that place. That's how we are envisioning the overall process of the protocol there. That's the first. The second thinking is we need to have a monitoring fiscal policy of the tokenomics of, of how this economy will look like now because this economy has a lot of people. It has people like Ayush and Mac who are the users. It has people like uh, developers who are building on top of it. It has node providers who are using their compute and it has investors who have put money into this. So there are a lot of stakeholders who are part of it. Now, how do you make a monitoring fiscal policy, which essentially like ties up to everything and fundamentally has two components to it. That is a high velocity of tokens. And second is a good distribution of tokens in front, uh, to, to people in general. So the second thing to solve there is the is that thing. So technology as well as the economics of it is something where we are right now working towards. And once we see that it's stable enough and launchable, we'll be launching it to the public and hopefully have a way, way, way better experience or way, way better apps to be built using this new architecture itself. Mm. I really like how you kind of go step by step. You start with the app where you have basically one major stakeholder, users. Then you go to this SDK where you have users and developers. And then you add protocol where you have users, developers, investors, node operators. So instead of jumping into the protocol pool and risking drowning there very fast, you do it step by step and, you know, learn on every stage and, and try to get all these lessons to the, to the next stage. So 
in Web2 communications tools, like this competition is really tough. You have Zoom that has very good UX, but they are fighting and having a hard time with, you know, power of bundling represented by Google Meets and Microsoft Teams. So I'm wondering, you know, how do you see Huddle uh, competing in the long run uh, since, you know, you might have to compete against these bundlers that have uh, very strong power. This is something which we have noticed for the last one year. Zoom has facing a problem. So expanding your question, uh, so Zoom is now planning to launch their own calendars. They're trying plan to launch their own emails because of the bundling thing which has happened because of Google and Microsoft. You, you will see that nudge right now. Let's suppose if you want to create a calendar event, you will see a nudge of Google Meet always like hovering over you that, hey, add a Google Meet meeting. Otherwise, you need to just add a Zoom-based meeting itself. And that's a very difficult thing because they com- they own that ecosystem. And this reminds me of a dialogue by David Sachs. I was watching an all-in podcast where he mentioned that we always talk about Facebook basically being that, taking away everything, the data, complete monopoly. But the monopoly of the B2B world is something where Microsoft is actually, nobody talks about it because they build a comparatively inferior product of something like, let's suppose, Slack. They'll add it to their bundle and they'll add to a bundle, then give the whole experience in in such a fashion that now you have to take it because you're already using a lot of things. So this is what happened with Microsoft Teams, right? Like they were at such a bad position. Even their product has now become a bit better, but still not as good as Zoom. But still their usage has just spiked up because of the bundling aspect. So what we learned from this experience was that you need to fight this war with having your own calendars, having your own emails, that's where we have something called a friend and a partner there called Meet with Wallet, where now instead of using a Canly directly, because Canly is again closed source, it's very difficult to integrate to Canly, by the way, for something like Huddle01. So that's where we use something like Cal.com and Canly because we are these are they're schedulers. And Huddle01 is a is something where you'll use more for scheduling. For a normal frank call on phone, you'll use something like WhatsApp call, right? Or a telegram-based call. But for scheduled meet, you'll use something like Huddle01 or Zoom or Google Meet. And we all are in a link sharing business, right? The ones, the links who get shared the most wins the game. So to do that, you need to have schedulers. To have schedulers, we have something partnered with Cal.com. Pierre is a good friend who has also, so we, you can use Cal.com with Huddle01. We can just send your Cal.ly links, Cal.com links, and bam, you can use Huddle01 there. The second is Meet with Wallet. That's a completely Web3-based currently. You don't need to give your email. It's Web3-based authentication and bam, you're in. So these are the two things which we are there. The third is something like email where you're chatting with Skiff Mail, where Skiff Mail can have, let's suppose if Skiff Mail is are inclined to, we can have something like Skiff Email where Huddle01 becomes like a de facto solution or something like Brave where you can have in the Brave, you get the video calls which are there in happening in Brave. A standard can happen directly by Huddle01 itself. So these are the kind of bundling games which you have to, we have to also play in order to compete to with the world players like Google Meet and Microsoft Teams. So you are forming a coalition to fight the behemoth. Yeah. And the coalition here is much more, it's a better coalition because there is a reason behind that fight and we are philosophically aligned towards the same direction, all of us. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I'm wondering, what were the things that surprised you the most when building this product? I mean, you know, obviously you had some assumptions when you started. You mentioned this education focus and I'm wondering, did you have any other assumptions, hypotheses that were proved wrong? You thought, okay, it should work this way, but you tried and you're like, ah. after this iteration, it turns out that it doesn't work that way. Yeah, so very, very funny. So what we, uh, education was something very like, it was very simple with education. Like, hey, what does an education need? It needs privacy, right? And it's the cheaper recording. Bam, let's give them file gun recording and let's give them cheap P2P-based calls, privacy, and you're done. And that's when we realized that the cycle of sales cycle is something where we understood is something which we, uh, all the Web3 organizations should take in mind because we have to move towards a bigger chunk of audience soon. Sales cycle is something which we underestimated and that surprised me a lot that it could be way larger for these monolith-based organizations in general in, in these categories of education, healthcare. Second, which surprised me to the good was NFT-based avatars. Very simple concept. And never realized that it would blow up to a proportion it blew up. 
people just wanted to connect their wallet and want to use the NFT while chatting to each other. And bam, a lot of people, the communities, they instead of doing Discord-based community calls, they started doing hurdle-based calls because they were able to do these kind of things. So this is the second thing which we're like, hey, uh, like which which worked better. Third, which we realized was that having everything Web three based, so we actually we are completely peer to peer. That means only four people, and we are like, hey, it's fine that if we are doing a peer to peer call, but if a fifth person comes, the experience becomes really shabby in general because a peer to peer call cannot handle more than four people. It creates a mesh network. So we created P2P call and we started seeing that experience of people were not great, but we're like, hey, no, this is privacy-based, decentralization first. So we realized that, no, we can't do that. And that's where we realized that we needed to move away from a switch-based mentality to a slider-based mentality, where instead of just seeing that, hey, it does decentralize day one, it's fine, that you will, you have a couple of components that are still centralized, and it will take time to decentralize it. So those are some of the things, three things which I learned over time. And then a couple of aspects as a founder would be, underestimating things like legal compliances on a level where we realize that this is a very, very important aspect of things to, to look after on day one and the structures which get created by having a good legal framework, a good compliances and a good framework of this saves a lot of founders time so that they can focus more on building rather than, that's what happened with a lot of ICO based founders as well, which I believe where the compliances became so heavy on them that instead of focusing on product or protocol, the focus was on regulations for a lot of time as a founder. So yeah, these are the couple of things which I learned over time. Yeah. So like uh, commenting of the, on these NFT communities, I think I've seen some, I would call like a touch roulette, but NF, based on NFT community. So you could, you know, I don't know, just like hang out with other board apes or with other party penguins. Uh, and, and, I, and I think it was built on Huddle zero one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just seen it somewhere, you know, scrolling Twitter. <laughs> uh, okay, so you spent a lot of time building Huddle, but if you were not building Huddle, what would you build? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I'll answer something where either it will be an infrastructure-based play on the level of the four layers, which I really like in, in the Web3 space. The first is the social layer, social graphs, something like Lens, CyberConnect, DSO, or Farcaster. The second is storage layer, something like Filecoin, storage. Third is the layer of authentication, something like Wallet Connect and stuff. And the fourth is the layer of communication, which we are building. So if not that, I would have gone after these three. But barring apart from Web3, the other the things which are really very passionate about and, and would like to solve towards is something like longevity. I like that department really well. Things happening uh, on that department, or Altos Labs and a couple of other players are trying to work on cellular rejuvenation on how we can create those things. That's first. Second is something like eVitals, vertical takeoff flights. I really like that concept as well because that could solve the problem of traffic in a manner. And yeah, I think these are the two more other things barring Web3, which I would have explored. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you know any projects that you really, really like that, that have been mind-blowing or very exciting? Something that you might say to other people listening, like kudos to people who build it, like you should check it out because I think it's amazing. I think I'll, I'll mention three names. The first would be Brendan Ike, the founder of Brave. He has been like the founding father of creating from the JavaScript, which everyone uses to essentially building Brave for years and years and years. And the kind of thinking he has over privacy and the kind of, like I'll say, war he has taken over Chrome and that to building such a beautiful product is a testament of how to build a great product and think about it deeply. There's a good podcast of him with Lex Friedman as well. I really like that, but would love to have more distant knowledge onto the Web3 space from him. The second would be Yuan Bennett, the founder of Filecoin, for his thinking from 2014, building something like IPFS, uh, why he built IPFS, why it's important to think about internet infrastructure like he thinks, uh, the mental models there will get it from him on how to think about internet in infrastructures. And then third would be Doug Petnis from LifePeer, the CEO of LifePeer, of his thinking about how he thought about the overall realm of tokenomics in general, what's his thinking behind all those processes, how he go went about it. I think these are three things which have a very distant knowledge in different parts and could be very helpful for the users, for the listeners. Yeah, you know, talking about Brave, the funny thing is, it's a great example of a product that's 
really, really good. And most people don't even know that it's web free based. Like a week ago, I seen my friend posting on LinkedIn, like, oh, Brave is so cool. It's so fast. I will never come back to Chrome. And you could easily migrate like everything. And there was zero info about blockchain, web free crypto. Actually, I spoke with him and he didn't even know that it's <laughs> there's somewhere something under the hood. And, and I think it's beautiful because it's just very, very user focused. Absolutely. That's what we need, actually, that you don't even know that it's <laughs> what's happening there. But it's so seamless. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had a magic wand and could fix one thing about Web3, what would you fix? Uh, <laughs> I, I'll fix the way you have to use a key to enter Web3, which is your authentication. I'll fix, I'll make account abstraction and MPCs, which we called it. Like whatever you want to call it, I want to fix that. It's really cumbersome. And that's the bottleneck behind entering and trying this magical world of Web3. Okay. So we are getting to the end. So I have very important question. The last one. Where people can learn more about Huddle? Where should they go? Yeah, so Huddle01 is really active on hash, like on this handle at the rate Huddle01.com. It's H-U-D-D-L-E-0-1-C-O-M.com. So com. you can find us there. Uh, we post a lot about it. Plus, I'm really active myself over Twitter. Uh, my, pro, my handle is at the rate R-A-N-J-A-N-3118. That's my surname, followed by 3118. So you can find us like DM at both the places you can follow most of there. And then you can also hang out in our Discord. The link is there in the Twitter handle of Huddle01 itself. So I think that's where we are. We're building a lot of cool stuff. We're giving out a lot of interesting grants. And yeah, would love to see what fantastic things you come up on building on us. Okay. So definitely check out Huddle. You know, you, you can try it for free. You can just connect wallet and, and see how it works and... I highly recommend it because it's it just works really well. It's it's a seamless experience. So if you run a DAO or you you know you have bigger community, I highly recommend checking it out because uh, I think it's a perfect use case here. So I just like thanks a lot, thanks a lot for coming and sharing the story. For me, the most uh, surprising thing about our conversation is how fascinating can such a thing that we take for granted as, you know, video and audio communications, like how fascinating it can be. It's just something that you don't even think, you just use it on an everyday basis. But like when you dig deeper, it, it, it's really, really interesting how it works and what are the trade-offs you need to take into account and, you know, how it exactly works. Yeah, and thanks, Mike. I think kudos to you for asking like a very pinpointed question, something which I really loved about from bundling to actually thinking about stuff like 100 milliseconds of latency. I think these things where we even went into biology aspect of things to understand these things. So uh, kudos for asking such a, such great questions. And I loved uh, spending time with you today. So this is almost the end. But if you like this episode and don't want to miss the next ones, feel free to subscribe. If you liked it a lot, I'd be personally grateful if you could give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks to these ratings, more people can learn about web free talks, and it's really important to me. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.